Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting his kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m., followed by a second service at 1045 a.m. Today's message is God's faithfulness. Here's Pastor Philip Thomas. I'm reminded as we move from that one song to another, talking about the great I am, and then moving into how great Jesus is, and reminded that he is the great I am. So we continue to worship. We enter into that time where we take a moment to give back and to remember all that God has, has given us. And not only do we, are we remembering and thinking about his faithfulness to us, but uh, all the many blessings that we have received uh, from him. And we have this opportunity to take a moment to give back and to be good stewards of all that God has given us. So let's uh, take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare for this morning's offering. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to give back to you. We thank you that you have given us so much and that you have just called us to be good stewards of that, that we use the resources that we have uh, to make a difference in your kingdom. And I pray that everything that is received today will be used to further your kingdom and share your message of hope with the world. In Jesus' name we ask him. Amen. All right. So we're getting, getting close to the end of uh, the letter to the Hebrews. And uh, we're trying to wrap up. And Hebrews kind of has a trouble wrapping up as well. It just kind of keeps keeps going and repeating some things and, and things like that, which is okay. It's, it's making, a, making a point. And so we're, we're getting very close to the end, uh, but we were in chapter 8 last week. We're actually going to be in chapter 10 uh, today. And, and I think, it's, again, it's so important with a book like Hebrews that we need to always remember um, kind of the, the basic background that we have, the audience that is there, the context, because so much can be taken out of context uh, if we're not if we're not careful, and uh, it, <laughs> and, and so one of the things that that I, I've done every week is try, kind of go back and make sure we remember this is a group that is starting to probably experience some persecution that will be experiencing uh, persecution. Um, it's a group that um, is kind of mixed, probably some that that were Jewish and now are Christians, um, but all of them would have been. Uh, been close and tied with the Jewish faith to some degree. Um, so you have a lot of dynamics that are going on here. And, and basically they're starting to wonder, or the temptation is, is starting to wonder, is it worth staying on this path? Is it worth following this guy named Jesus? Right? And so most of Hebrews has been um, talking about that Jesus is uh, the great I am, that he is greater you get these lights yeah there you go that he is uh he he is the great high priest that he is the one and only and uh and so he talks a lot about that we if you read through from chapter 8 to chapter 10 it really emphasizes that he is the great high priest that he has paid everything that needs to be paid uh that our sins are forgiven in him um and and that again is making this case that this is a new way of doing things. It's a new way of relating to God, right? But that's always hard. That change is always difficult. And uh, we're going to be in the end of chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 19. 
And what's happening here is this is kind of uh, the summation or, or why, uh, kind of the explanation. Here's why we've been telling you all of this. And uh, it gets to chapter 10, and, and I'm going to break this down because it, it talks about some very distinct uh, things. And it, this is basically the call to persevere, the call to continue on. Um, it's acknowledging, hey, you've experienced some tough and guess what? You're going to experience some tough stuff coming. And so that's why all of this that we've been laying out is important. And now here's where we're going. So in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not giving up, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, let's start, stop there. This is, this is kind of the summation of why it's so important to grasp what Christ has done, who Christ is, right? It's, it's so that we can encourage one another with that um, and with that truth because we know that there are going to be times where we're going to be tempted to abandon that. And, uh, and so he, he started off, the writer starts off, he I love some of the things. He, he again, reiterates that uh, Christ is the new high priest, uh, that he has opened uh, us through the curtain, right? And remember we talked about it, and and Hebrews talks about the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies, and the curtain separated that room. Well, and if you remember, whenever Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the curtain? It was torn. And so, again, this, this, uh, this idea that God dwelled in the Holy of Holies only in this one place is where heaven met earth. Now that has been, the curtain has been removed. So God's presence is kind of being spilled out on the world in, in a sense, right? And so that's a whole new way of relating to God. And, and it, the writer is saying, it is important that you continue to relate to God that way. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, right? That we can have that assurance that, that we are putting our faith in the one true God in Jesus Christ, that he is the high priest, you know, and that we can have, in, in a sense, it's saying you can have more, uh, your faith can have more assurance now than it could the old way. Because the old way, you had to go to somebody else who would then go to God for you. Now you are able to experience God yourself. Right? You have that full assurance of faith. Right? And then it, it continues, it says uh, that, uh, that our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Right? That, I mean, it, and that's something that we, need to, we really need to realize, that, that what Christ is doing, when we are sincerely coming to him and striving to live our life for him and repenting and saying, God, I, I know that I've fallen short. I, I want to live my life for you. We don't have to feel guilty anymore. If we are feeling guilty, it's because we're choosing to feel guilty, right? Unless we are legitimately doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing, right? You're going to have that. But sometimes I think we hold on to that guilt uh, a lot longer than we should. And I think the, right here it's saying, no, we can, we can get rid of that. Let that go too. 
That's part of what Jesus died for as well. His cleansing us from all of that. Um, And then it continues to go on. It says, uh, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who is promised is faithful. Right? Our hope is not based on our faith in him. It's based on the fact that he is faithful to us. Based on what Christ has done for us. And again, it's been laying this case out the whole time of, of the greatness of Christ. And it is in him that we can put our faith and we can have hope in him because we know how faithful he is to us. Right? Now, all of those things are the basis and those are, those are things that uh, the people were believing that they were holding on to. But guess what happens whenever things start getting difficult? You start to struggle with all of those things. Right? You're going to start struggling with guilt. You're going to start struggling with hope. You're going to start struggling with your faith. Right? And that's, that's understandable. And so it continues. It talks about, uh, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, right? So he's recognizing, hey, we need to be encouraging one another. And he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. All right, now this is, this is kind of funny because, uh, you know, one thing as a pastor and you've probably experienced in, in growing up in church and stuff like that is we talk about attendance and all of that and sometimes we, uh, we even say, you know, in order to be a good Christian, you should be at church every, every time the doors are open, right? That you're expected to be at church. And sometimes we've kind of used that as a guilt <laughs> tool to try to get people to make sure they're there. No, you need to be there. Well, guess what? That's, that's not what this is saying, all right? It's not trying to, to put a guilt trip on people. But it is talking about how important it is that we gather together for the purpose of being encouraged, of spurring each other on towards good and, and good works, right? And, uh, you know, this idea of being an individual Christian, of saying, oh, well, I can be a Christian. I don't, I don't like, uh, how many times have I heard, especially growing up in West Texas, I heard this all the time. Oh, I, you know, I, yeah, I, don't, I just don't like crowds. I don't like people, you know, I, so I, I can be a good Christian, you know, in the deer stand, or I can be a good Christian, you know, doing this. You don't have to go to church, right? That is technically true. You're right. But if you want to experience the life that God wants us to live, and if you want to experience the encouragement and all that, no, we need to be meeting together. And let's put it in the context of what's going on here. You see, whenever uh, people are under true persecution, Right, where you could actually get put in prison or get beaten or uh, have real consequences for being a Christian. Right? And we have to separate that out. We, we, we're not experiencing that. Okay? But whenever you are experiencing that, you know how you get caught? Is by meeting together. <laughs> right? If you just stayed at home and still believed in, in Jesus, then usually the government's not going to find out. But it's because you continue to meet together that actually puts you at peril. Isn't it amazing that the author of Hebrews feels that it is so important that, these, that this group of Christians continue to meet together. They say, you know, it's worth the risk to meet together. That's pretty powerful of how important it is 
that we gather together because that is where we get the encouragement to move forward. That's where we get the encouragement uh, to know that when times get tough, that we've got people that are there for us, that are praying for us. And I'm not saying that it has to be that you develop close, intimate relationships. You, that's a, you do that with only a few people, right? But there is something about coming together as the body of Christ and being able to kind of look out and say, you know what? Everyone in here is struggling with something, but God is being faithful to them. And so, you know what? I bet he's going to be faithful to me too. There's something really important about that. And sometimes we view, we view church in a very different way. Sometimes we view church from a very consumeristic point on, well, you know, what is church going to meet my, my needs for my music, for my children, for all this? All those things are important. But at the core of what gathering together like this is about is it's about getting together and being encouraged, worshiping together, knowing that, hey, we're all in this together, right? And being reminded that God is with all of us. And we need to be an encouragement for each other. So, so that's, it kind of builds to that. It's, it's saying, hey, y'all need to encourage each other with what you know to be true about Christ and stick with it. Make sure, continue to meet, continue to, uh, to encourage one another. And it says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, there's different ways that you can interpret the day approaching. Is it talking about the end times, uh, whenever Christ uh, returns again? There's probably a little bit of yes. It's also as you see the day approaching, as you see the difficult days ahead, right? You know, and, and these people definitely saw that. They knew that it was going to be getting harder for them. You know, and so they, they could see those days approaching, and so it's saying that's why it's so important that you're encouraging one another because if not, when that day comes, man, it's so easy just to get pushed out and to become bitter and become angry and to turn your back on God. Right? That's why it's so important to do what he's been talking about. And then let's read the next section. And this is another uh, uncomfortable for us. It makes us question if we can lose our salvation. We've already talked about that before. This is another passage. Again, I don't, I, we need to be careful with that. But there clearly is a strong warning that the, there is a very big reality that you can turn your back on God. Right? And, uh, and so this is the, the warning in verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we had received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant and the sanctified, and that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right. Now, this, this should be a little uncomfortable to us, right? That's pretty, that's pretty harsh language. Like, oh, my gosh. Right? First, we have to kind of understand a little bit of the background. We're, we're talking about this you know, to a group of people who their basic understanding is on the Jewish system of sacrifice. 
Um, and because and some people have taken this very seriously throughout church history to say, man, if you mess up, you're, you're in danger of the fire, fires of hell. You know, if you've ever, ever messed up, you're in trouble. You know, it doesn't matter whether you've been saved or not. The, if you mess up again, look at what you're doing. Um, that's not healthy. That's not what this is doing. Um, but I think in our day and time, we've kind of swung the other way to saying, oh, this is just really kind of hyperbole. It's, you know, language is kind of uh, out there, you know, and, and we don't take it seriously enough, all right? Um, something is going on here, um, and we're going we're gonna to definitely be talking about that, but if you look at the sacrificial system that they would have been used to, um, there, were, there were times that you would go on a regular basis to the priest when you did something that you knew you were not supposed to do. And you went to the priest and you offered a sacrifice, right? And that's how you would receive forgiveness. Um, There were also those sins. There were times uh, throughout the year that you would offer sacrifices for the sins that you did and you you weren't even aware of it. Like maybe it happened so quickly, but you never actually uh, committed or, you know, repented for that specific sin. And, but, but you really weren't wanting to, right? That, which I think is the, the case for a lot of our sin, if you really think about it. It's sin that just kind of happens, and we, we didn't necessarily intend for it to, but we know that it does, so we know that we mess up, so we need to, to repent for that. Well, that was the same way in the, in, uh, within the Jewish tradition. You could repent for that. But there was a difference between that kind of sin and willful, malicious sin. Whenever you basically said, you know what? I don't care what God has to say. I'm going to do it my way. And I don't care that I'm basically spitting in the face of God. I don't care that I'm trampling on people. I'm going to do it my way anyway. Right? There really wasn't sacrifices for that type of sin. Right? There were consequences for that type of sin. Now, it didn't mean that someone couldn't repent and then turn their life around. But there were severe consequences that were going to be paid for that type of sin. That is a malicious type of sin. That is a deliberate uh, turning away from God. And that's where I I come down in, in Hebrews. I don't think you can lose your salvation, but you can deliberately turn your back on God. Right? And, and that's kind of what this is talking about, that you just completely reject that and you start living contrary to the ways of God and you do that intentionally. And the reason they're bringing this up is because that can happen whenever you start being put under pressure and life starts becoming difficult. One of the things that is very tempting, if your faith is kind of shallow or very individualistic, and you start getting all that pressure, you can turn bitter and angry, and you kind of intentionally start living against God because you're mad that God didn't do what you thought he should do when you were going through difficult times. Right? And so that's what they're saying. He's saying, that is, we don't want you to do that. That is not good. There are consequences for that. <laughs> we don't like talking about accountability in today's age. We don't like talking about consequences. We sure don't like talking about judgment and all that kind of stuff. But guess what? 
It's there. <laughs> right? God doesn't appreciate and he doesn't allow to go unpunished living a life directly opposite the one he calls us to live. Right? And I don't know how all that's going to work out in the end. That's, we can have theological discussion after theological discussion, right? Um, of what, what does it mean for hell? What, is the, what does the judgment mean? I, I don't know. Right? I'm not going to pretend to know, but I, I do know that God clearly does not want us to live against his ways. And there are consequences for that, right? And I think it's important that we remember that, right? And they, it goes on. I want to read this last part because, again, this is kind of summing up all the things that Hebrews have been saying. And now it's saying, here, I want you to be encouraged. You need to encourage one another because some difficult stuff is coming. And we don't want you to fall away and start living against all that that you've claimed to believe, right? And so in verse 32, it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in the great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But, by, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. All right, so now he, uh, he kind of moves back to encouragement. He started off with uh, encouraging them to encourage one another. Then he has this really terrifying thing that you know, you're basically spitting in the face of God whenever you choose to maliciously live against his ways. And then he encourages again. He says, you know, you've experienced persecution before. You've experienced difficulty before. And God was with you. Remember that. Remember how God was with you because he will be with you again. We don't want this upcoming persecution to push you back um, and, and to fall away from uh, God's plan for you. Right? And so we, ha we have this kind of full circle that's happening here. And, and I think it's so important for us to remember all of this because what's going to happen or what can very easily happen is we can live our life um, in a very comfortable way with a comfortable faith, right? And we can go to church and we can have a, a faith in God uh, that, that works for us, but then all of a sudden life is going to turn upside down, one way or the other. And that's when we're going to find out, is it just a, a convenient faith that we have or do we have a real faith in God, right? Because many times the convenient faith in God is one that, yeah, we like, the, we like to experience the good music and the good feelings and the, the nice people at church and the free coffee and the free donuts and all that kind of stuff. We like to experience that as long as life is going well because in a sense, hey, God's keeping up his end of the deal, right? But then when life turns 
and we start experiencing persecution, whatever that may be, right? Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, God, this wasn't part of the deal. In our minds, it's what we usually do. That wasn't part of the deal. And it can be very easy for us just to back out and say, you know what, enough of this. I'm going a different, different way. It is so important for us to know that God understands and he warns us against this. He knows, hey, life is not always easy. Life is not the way that I would like it to be for you, right? Because of sin. And so I need you to be prepared for that so that you can continue to live in, in my presence and live uh, the, the life I want for you, even though you're experiencing all the hardship. He's being faithful to us even when he knows our faith in him is going to waver. Had the opportunity to talk with a lady who's getting very close to the end of her life um, and, uh, and I had a chance to visit with her and she was a Christian um, and talking with her, she was born in 1930. So 1930, that time frame is a, is a, is a big one for the world, right? You have the beginning of the Great Depression you also have the beginning of massive changes over in Europe. She was born in Germany, East Germany. So she would have actually been four or five years old when Hitler would have taken control. She would have been, uh, you know, I, maybe that was 36 or 7, I think 37 is when Hitler invades Poland. So she would have been in those formative years under Hitler. Her, uh, her dad was forced to fight uh, for the Germans in eastern uh, Germany, so would have fought mostly with Russia, which uh, over 30 million people died in just the Russian-German. I mean, it, unbelievable. She would have, so she would have experienced all of that and been old enough to remember it. So after the war is over, her uh, dad actually survived the war, comes back. Now, eastern Germany is given to Stalin. So now, from the time that she's 14 or so, she's now under the rule of Stalin. So she has lived under the rule of Hitler and of Stalin, arguably two of the most evil people that have ever lived. Somehow her dad was able to move her family from eastern Germany to western Germany uh, to an aunt, and then she eventually gets over to the United States. She is Christian. She's talking to me. Of course, now she's starting to think about the end of her life. And she says, you know, I struggle. Because sometimes my faith is really strong and sometimes it's not. And I'm thinking, of course, look at what you have experienced. That would shake anyone's faith. Because the world is ugly. And she saw it better than we can even imagine, right? And the only thing that I could tell her is that, you know what, I know that your faith, you may feel that it wavers, but God's faith in you never changes. God will be faithful to you. Whenever I think about this issue of judgment and of punishment and that, those really powerful verses of, of how God doesn't like it when people maliciously live against him, we live in a world, and especially we live in a culture that wants to say that's, that's unappealing, 
right? How can you tell someone that, you know, God's not going to love them or they're not going to be accepted by God, right? And so we try to just avoid it. And I would say one of the ways that God is, shows his faithfulness to us is that he will not let evil and injustice go unpunished. That he will make things right again. Right? Now that's not the way that we lead in our evangelistic efforts. But we need to know that that's true. I mean, imagine if you're uh, uh, the person reading this letter. And maybe you, you have a family member who is in jail for being a, a Christian. Right? Don't you want to know that God cares about that injustice? Of course you do. Don't you want to know that God understands that evil is happening and that he is going to make it right one day? Yes, that's part of God's faithfulness to us is that he will make things right, which is so important for us to go and to share his message of hope with the world, right? Because eventually he is going to make everything right again and people will be held to account. And don't we want to be that message that says, hey, the way that you live your life does matter. It does make a difference. And God does care. And he loves you enough to accept you into his, uh, into his presence no matter what you've done but he does want you to accept him and to start living your life for him and striving to live a life for him. Doesn't mean that you're perfect. But we need to realize and remember that part of God's faithfulness to us is that he is going to make everything right again. I just want to encourage you. We don't live in a time of persecution like this. We have, it's, it's a different type of persecution you know, you can kind of be looked down against for having a strong faith, for having different viewpoints of faith. And that, that still hurts, right? But the words that were written some 2,000 years ago to a group of people who were going through this difficult time and was encouraging them to persevere, they speak to us today. We're going to be tempted to kind of back off and say, you know what? Maybe this way of life isn't the wall it's cracked up to be. I'm still going through a lot of junk. And God wants to say, no, I'm going to be with you through all of that. And guess what? I will be making everything right again. We need to encourage each other. We need to remind each other of how much God loves us and that he is going to be making everything right. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear God, I thank you so much that you love us, that you care for us, and that you are going to make everything right again. Lord, I pray that we will be good ambassadors for you as we share that message, the message of love, but also the message of justice. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who loves us enough to make everything right. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. 
We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512-661-8411. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.